Good morning, everyone, and Happy New Year. Glad to have you here today at Lakeside and uh, to add my welcome to the welcome of others. And I thought what we might do today is, just before we jump into my talk that I want to share with you, I've been excited about putting this together, I thought I'd like to pray just for us as a community here. I know uh, just in the last couple of weeks I've had people share some stories and there's been some tough times that they're going through. So I thought we would just pause before we do that uh, and get into the talk and just pray for those folks among us. So bow with me as we pray. Father God, we just uh, we give you thanks uh, that we've come through a, a, an old year and you blessed many of us in, in, in significant ways. But in the midst of our blessings, we also know that there are some who are struggling through life issues, uh, things that they're going through. Um, it can be relationally, vocationally, it can be with their health, it can be emotional, whatever it is, Lord. We, we know that there are people here today. And so we just ask that uh, you will do your work on their lives as we go into this new year that they will have an incredible sense of your presence, that you will give them the strength to, to walk through and work through whatever issues are on the, the table in their life, and uh, that they will just know you're there and that you care for them and that you want to do life with them. And so we just commit all of them today. We commit these words that I will share um, we, to you. I want to do it to honor you, to glorify you. Uh, I don't want to impress anybody today. I just want to make a difference in the lives of people here. So may the words of my mouth and the thoughts of my mind and the meditations of my heart be glorifying and honoring to you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, some of you are fairly new to Lakeside and some of you have been around for a while. Um, but just so that we're all on the same playing field, I want to tell you a little bit about my life, just one little piece about it. And that is for the first 11 years of my life, I was a, a funeral director. I was a licensed funeral director. And uh, I did that uh, until uh, God led me into a, a different direction. And because I was a funeral director, one of the things I had opportunity to do was to go to the cemetery and go to the cemetery thousands of times. And when I was at the cemetery, I would have the chance to view thousands and thousands of gravestones. Now, one of the things I notice about gravestones is they're all different, different colors, different shapes, made of different material. And, and they're, you know, not many of them are exactly the same. There are a few that are the same. But as I looked at the variety of gravestones that were in a cemetery, there were four constant characteristics that I saw that were on every gravestone. One, there was a birth date or the date a person was born. Sometimes it was the actual day. Sometimes it was just a year. Then there was a death date. Sometimes again, it was the actual date. Sometimes it was just a year. And often there was an epitaph, which is sort of a summary statement of the person's life. It kind of summed up their life in one statement. The fourth thing that I noticed was that there was a dash between the two dates. There was this dash between the two dates. And this is what I came to understand is that our life actually gets summarized in a dash. The dash summarizes the totality of our lives when you think about it. We have this birth date, we have this death date, and life is the dash that is in between those two dates. Some people have longer dashes, some people have shorter dashes, but the sum total of our life is the dash. And as I looked at those gravestones and I looked at the names and the summary statements and the dates and some of them were very, you know, close together and some of them were very far apart, I would often ask myself questions about the people that were buried there, wondering, did they have purpose? Did they find meaning in their life? What kind of life did they live? Did they have their priorities in order? Did they live for what really matters? Did they love others and were they loved in return? Had they wounded anybody or had anybody wounded them? You know, I, I ask questions like, what impact did they have in this world? What was most important to them? What kind of life did they live? What kind of mistakes might they have made and wish they could do over now if they had the chance? And what kind of regrets might they had a, have died with? 
And those are kind of questions that I think all of us need to be asking about our lives while we still live in the dash. Because I also noticed other gravestones and they would have the birth date and that they would have the dash, but there was no death date because that hadn't happened yet. They were kind of looking forward to that. I guess looking forward is the best way to put it. And they knew that that date would eventually come. But when I thought about that dash and those dates, here's what I realized. Nobody had any control over their birth date. Nobody had any control. Very few had any control uh, of any kind over their death date. Usually it was beyond control. The only thing between the birth date and the death date in the dash that any of us have any control over is the dash. That is where we can make the right choices and live for what matters and find meaning and purpose and have great relationships is in the dash because that's all that we have control over. And I know some of these had a birth date and some of them had no death date. And they were kind of waiting for death to happen. And what I want to make sure in this series is we don't do is focus on the death date. That's not what this series is about. It's not about scaring us into anything. It is about creating a sense of urgency. It is about living life to the fullest during the dash. It is about living a life with fewer mistakes. It is about living life, living life um, so that we have little or few regrets at the end. See, I don't want you to fearfully focus on the death date. I want us to positively focus on how we live our lives. Now, the death date will come for all of us. I'm, uh, just let me tell you that. You probably already knew that. It's about 100% right now. And there's this humorous non-scientific uh, website, kind of sick if you think about it kind of a website, and it's based on insurance actuarial tables, and it asks you a number of questions, many questions, and you answer all of those questions, and then you push the button, and it says calculate, and what it does is it calculates your death date. Now, I know that sounds pretty morbid and my wife didn't want me to do it and she didn't want me to announce it. And I always, and so I said, I will not tell the people at Lakeside what the death date is. I will simply tell you that it was in August of 2042 and it was the day after the 10th. But I'm not telling you what date it is. And if you look at that It means that I'm going to live till I'm 84 years old, seven months, 12 days. I got about 30 years left to live. Now, the truth is, based on my family history, my father's side, I could live way, way past that. We got their old men on that side of the family. On my mother's side of the family, however, I could live a significantly less than that date. The way I drive it, I could easily have an accident that ends my life. When you look at the statistics of terminal illnesses, I could be caught up in one of the odds. I could have a heart attack while I'm, you know, so into preaching here some Sunday. I mean, who knows how it's going to happen? None of us can calculate that date. There's only one person that knows the date when you and I are going to die, and that is God himself. And there is no kind of table that you can put answer questions and push a date or push a button calculate and get the date there's it's just not realistic it's not reliable but what if it was what if you put all the information in and what if that date was december 31st 
2013? What if in this year, by the last day of this year, you knew your life was going to end? And that's what the clock is all about behind me. We started on January the 1st, as soon as it started. So that's the amount of time left until the end of the year. Now, I know some of you are pretty good at math, so don't try to figure out how long I'm going to talk. Don't try to just ignore that part of it. But if this was true and we found that our death date was going to be the last day of 2013, we have 358 days, 12 hours, 25 minutes, and 42 seconds and descending. Now, if you knew you had one year to live, what would you do differently? Pretty sobering question. In fact, that's the question we're going to ponder for the next five weeks. If you only had one year to live, what things would you do differently? That can be seem like a sad question, a fear-filled question, but it is a it's a clarifying question. It clarifies life. It clarifies how we would live life. If I knew I had a year to live, it would maybe change the way I do relationships, what my priorities are, what I would say yes to, what I would say no to, what I would focus on, what I'd give my energy to. What would be different if I knew for sure that I had one year to live. This is a clarifying question. Now, I know we don't know, but if we did, would we live life differently? The reality of the majority of you here, I look out, you're younger, you're, you're my age or younger, the majority of you, so we're going to live way past that date. And I understand that. But for some of us, you know what we want to do? We want to avoid this thinking altogether. We'd rather not even think about it. We know we're going to avoid that date. We're going to live beyond it, but we don't want to think about it. It discourages us. It depresses us. So we try to avoid thinking about it. But if we are going to live life that is full, if we are going to make wise choices, and if we are going to live lives that have little or no regret at the end, we've got to keep these kind of things in front of us. Now, in the book of Psalms, which is one section of the Bible, uh, it's probably the oldest psalm, the oldest writing, and it's written by Moses who lived like five, 6,000 years ago. And Moses says these words in Psalm 90, verse 10. The length of our days is 70 years or 80 if we have the strength. And what Moses is saying here is that we have 70 to 80 years. That's the average lifespan of his time. He did this by observation. And he said some live beyond 80 because they had good strength or good health. Well, nothing has changed much in 5,000 years. In fact, uh, I think it's 84 years is the sort of the average age today. So what Moses said then applies to today. But because of technological advances and people living longer, sometimes we tend not to think about this. When we think, I've got plenty of time on my side. But what Moses is saying here, he's saying our time on earth is limited. Fact number one, reality number one, our time on earth is limited. Now, if you're 25 or 18, somewhere between, let's say 18 to 35, you got this mindset that you have your whole life ahead of you, and you do. But he says, our time is limited. And then he goes on to the next part of this verse, and he says this. Let's see, he goes this. Yet their span is trouble and sorrow. Just, you know, in this world, you have trouble. It's kind of what Jesus said. And then he goes on, for they quickly pass and we fly away. Now, when it says we quickly pass and fly away, this is not about going to Florida for the winter. That's not what that means. It means that time passes quickly. Here it is. It passes quickly. Our time on earth is limited and it passes quickly. And those of you in your 20s and early 30s, you feel like you've got time on your side. 
like you've got all the time in the world and you do. But for those of us who are in our 50s and 60s and older, when we look back at when we were your age, when our hair was a natural color, when we didn't suffer from carpenter's disease, that's when our chest falls into our drawers. And um, when we saw better and we heard better, I'm here to tell you, it seems like yesterday. And I know some, you know, you know, one of my mentors used to say these words, life is like a roll of toilet paper. The closer you get to the end, the faster it goes around. And some of you are sitting here between 18 and 30 and you're in school or finishing school or your first career or your second career, or you're getting married or you're having kids and you think your whole life is ahead of you. And it is. But I'm here to tell you at my age, I can look back and I remember graduating from high school. I remember the very suit I wore. It was ugly, but I still remember it. I remember the day I graduated from high school. I remember the day I graduated from college. I remember the day in detail um, when I got married, because who doesn't let me forget, but I understand the details. I remember when every one of my kids was born. I remember my first day on the job, my first day on the next job, and my first day on this job. And I'm here to tell you, they seem like yesterday. They seem like, you know, that's just been a blur. It's gone by quickly. And if I think that's more than 30 years since those things happened, if I've only got 30 years left, how fast is it going to go by? It goes by quickly. I mean, you only get to be 20 once. You only get to be 30 once. You only get to be 40. Well, a couple of times. Uh, you only get to be 50, 60, 70, or 80. And those last decades move quick. King David writes these words. Lord, remind me how brief my time on earth will be. Remind me that my days are numbered and that my life is fleeting away. My life is no longer than the width of my hand. He says it's small, short. The entire lifetime is just a moment to you. Human existence is but a breath. He says, remind me of these truths. Remind me of these truths. And he gives us a third one. And it is this, the end is unpredictable. None of us know. None of us know. If we knew... We had a month or a year, but we don't. We don't know if we have a month. We don't know if we have a year. We don't know if we have 20, 30, 40, 50, 70 years. We don't know how much time we've got left. None of us know when the dash is over. And yet I notice at times when I read the newspaper, it says these words, suddenly. And then it goes on to tell someone's story. And they died. And it happened suddenly, without warning, because the end at times is unpredictable. And because of these three realities, because our time is limited, because it moves by quickly, and because uh, the end is so uncertain, the writer Moses goes on in verse 12 and gives us this incredible um, insight. He says this, teach us, because of those three realities, to number our days, to know how many days we have, to know that all those things are true. Teach us to number our days. Why? That we may gain a heart of wisdom. This series is all about living wisely. It's about living life to the fullest. It's about making fewer mistakes. It is about living, ending our lives with fewer regrets. Now, when we think of these three realities, there are three reactions that we could have. The first reaction is that it can be a liability. We just don't want to think about it. We fear it. We dread it. We try to avoid it. We try not to think about it. We say, this is wrong. This is a bad deal. I don't like it. It's negative. It's depressing. It's distressing. We see it as a liability. The second group might see it as a license. When, and, and their motto goes something like this. Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow you might die. I'm going to live life full of pleasure, full of just, you know, 
uh, pursuing pleasure, things that please me. I'm going to seek happiness at any cost, no matter who it hurts. It's all about me. It's all about my happiness. It's all about partying hardy. It's all about pleasure because life is short and we make it license. We do whatever we want, live any way we want because it is so short. But the third group will find this very liberating. We'll choose to live life differently because of these realities. Our relations will be different. Our priorities will be different. We'll live more purposeful, more deliberate, more focused, more intentional. We'll live for what really matters, more authentic, more real. It will liberate us. It will free us if we keep these realities in front of us. Because if you were told that you had one year to live and after the shock wore off and after you came out of denial and after anger disappeared and discouragement had dissipated and you began to accept it, I believe that if you knew it was true, you would live your life differently. I know I would. And I know this first part of the talk seems negative and a little bit morbid, and you'd rather not think about it. But we're not going to focus on death or your death date. In this series, we're going to focus on life and living life to the fullest, living life wisely, living and making fewer mistakes, and ending our lives with less regret. I want you to number your days so that you live wisely, so that you can end your days with fewer or no regrets. I, 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 a number of years ago, about seven or eight years ago, I taught on something similar to this, and I, I shared a story, and I want to share it again. It's the story of a group of miners, and uh, they were kind of wrapping up their day deep under the ground, and all of them but one, because the elevator wouldn't take everybody, all but one began to make their way up the shaft, and they were really deep, you know, a, a mile deep. And as they got about three-quarters of the way up, something sparked, and there was an explosion, and all those guys in that shaft, in that elevator, were killed but what also happened is the entrance to that mine shaft was closed. It was now completely filled in. And there was this one miner left in the mine shaft a mile below the ground. And they figured out how long it would take them to rescue him. They figured out uh, where he was trapped. They figured about how much oxygen he had left before the carbon dioxide overtook the oxygen and he would die. And they calculated that he had a little over an hour to live. And they were still able to communicate with him. And they wondered, should they tell him or shouldn't they? And they finally told him that he had an hour to live and that it would be a fairly painless end. He would just begin to get very tired. Eventually, he would go to sleep and he would die a very painless death. And in that last hour, he found his way using emergency lighting to a little mine office a mile below ground. And he found some paper and he took a pen and he wrote his final thoughts over that last hour. Now, eventually they dug in, they got his body, they found the papers, they gave it to his family, and no one ever knew what was written there. You'd love to, but no one did. Later on, they took this story, this true story, and they did an experiment with people of various ages and different genders and business exec and factory workers and stay-at-home moms and students, seniors, and they told them the story, and they said, imagine you're in the mine and you've got an hour to live. We want you to write what you would write in that last hour. And the sentiment shared primarily centered around the word regret. Some said we would love more often. Others said that we would say, I'm sorry and sort out relationships. Others would take more risks. Others would focus on, uh, they, they, some said they would focus on others and not themselves so much. Others said that they would make a difference. They would mark lives instead of just marking time. 
Some wanted to leave a legacy to their kids they wish they had of. Some of them wish they had their priorities in order that they hadn't overcrowded their schedule with all this work stuff and didn't live for those relationships that were so important. Um, some said that they would have spent more time with the people they loved. Others said they would worry less, be anxious less, have less sleepless nights. They wouldn't focus on all of those things that cause worry. Others said they would enjoy the moments of life, the sunsets, the sunrises, their kids playing, quiet walks, hand in hand with their spouse, intimate dinners. Some said they would sort out the big questions of life, like why they were here and what their purpose was and their destiny and so on. Others said that they wished they had have sorted out the spiritual side of life, got their relationship right with God. And others just said, you know, we would have do so many things different and they listed those things. You see, it's about living wisely. That's what this series is about. I want us to be able to live wisely. I want us to be able to live life to the fullest. I want each of us to be able to live our lives, making fewer mistakes that can wreck an area of our lives. And I want us to live with fewer, no regrets at the end. And so that's what this series is really going to focus on. Now, you may say, how can we do that? Do we have a model to follow? How can we do this? How can we be sure that we live the dash to the fullest? How can we be sure we make the choices that don't lead to the worst mistakes? How can we be sure that we leave fewer no regrets? Is there a model? Is there something we can follow? Is there a blueprint somewhere? Well, the good news is, is there is a model to follow. There's a person that we can follow. And the Bible has this model. It provides this model for us. And it's someone who knew that their life was going to end soon. They were fully aware of it. They knew it was going to happen. They had a sense that it was coming very quickly. And they made four choices. This person made four choices in the time that they had left. And I think they're the four kind of choices in the time that we have left. Be it one year, 20 years, 50 years, that if we make these four choices, and this is what we're going to look at over the next four weeks, is these four choices, we can live life that is full. We can make fewer mistakes mistakes and we can live with less regret. And that person is Jesus. That person is Jesus. We celebrated his birth just a few weeks ago. And there's lots in the Bible about the birth of Jesus. Lots about his birth. Now, the next time his life pops up on the, on the grid is he's 12 years old and he's in the temple and he says he's about his father's business. And it says these words about Jesus at that point that he grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. That's the next time we see his life. And then we don't hear anything about him, his story, until he's 30 years old and he begins to do work among the people. He begins to teach like a rabbi and work like a rabbi. And he does these miracles and he inter, his life intersects uh, with the people of his time. And, Matt, and, and we know that from the time he started his ministry till the time he died, it was about three and a half years. And Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they record the narrative of his life. They record this. But when you read the narrative of the life of Jesus, here's one thing that you find. That somewhere partway along his journey, something seems to change. And it seems like there's this turning point where he has this clear sense that the end is near. He's fully aware of it. And when you look at the timeline of his ministry life, you can discover that it's just a little over a year left. He had just a little over a year to live. And he made four key choices in, those la- in that last year. And he acts as a model for us. And so we're having an overview of these four today. And then we'll dig deep over the next four weeks. First thing Jesus did was this. He lived passionately focused on his purpose. He lived passionately focused on his purpose. Here's the verse. 
Luke 9, 51, at the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, he knew it. Jesus resolutely, this is talking about knowing what you need to do and focusing on it with diligence and purpose. He set out for Jerusalem and it wasn't to go to Jerusalem because that's where he needed to go to die. It wasn't to go there because that's where the cemetery was. It wasn't to go there because it was some sort of a family or friends gathered. He, Jesus knew his purpose from that point on. In fact, he knew his purpose through his whole life was to die. Jesus knew his purpose was to come to this earth and to die for your sinful choices and my sinful choices. He dies in our place. He pay, he get, he takes the punishment that should be ours. He knew that was his purpose. And he now begins to live the rest of his life focusing on that purpose. And I believe God's purpose for your life and mine starts with a personal relationship with God. That's where the fullness of life begins. That's why Jesus went to the cross. That's why he pursued this purpose with passion so that you and I could relationally reconnect with God. God's purpose starts with a friendship, a growing friendship that changes us from the inside out, that changes our heart and our thinking and our attitudes and our actions. It flows from that relationship and it leads to the fullness of life. And if I had one year to live, I would make sure my relationship with God was sorted out. And if I was a prodigal far from God, I would make sure I'd make my way home to the Father. But not only does it impact my time here on this earth, but that relationship with God also impacts my eternity, my forever, where there will be no end date. Now, Out of this relationship, that primary purpose, he gives us some common purposes like serving and caring and connecting and sharing and making a difference and loving. And then he gives all of us, I believe, a unique purpose. And I believe that if I had a year to live, I would live out those purposes as best as I could. I would pursue that unique passion in my life. If I had a year to live, I would stand up here and I would teach Sunday after Sunday and they'd have to wheel me in on a wheelchair and they could wheel me in on a cart and whether I'm laying down or standing up or sitting down, I would do that to the end. I pursue that with passion because I believe that's one of my purposes and I think all of us have those and the fullness of life and finding meaning in life is tied directly to purpose and I want to live my until my death date whenever that is passionately on purpose. I want to live until I die. And Jesus passionately pursued his purpose. Secondly, he loved completely, loved completely. It says this in John 13, 1. It was just before the Passover feast and Jesus knew that his time had come for him to leave the world and go to heaven, to the Father. He knew it was, time's up. Clock had clicked down. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them what? The full extent of his love. He loved them completely. He knew the end was in sight and he tiled up the the way he loved. And if I had one year to live, I would love those in my world more completely to the best of my ability. I'd say the things that I needed to say and I'd do the things that I needed to do. I would show them love to the max. I would focus on the relationships closest to me and I would express that love to the best of my ability. Jesus gave us this directive. He said, love God with all of your heart. And when we love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, don't dissect those. It just means your total being. And when we are to love others as we love ourselves. And sometimes we struggle loving others. There's just people in our world that are hard to love and hard to love completely. I believe if we can work on loving God with all our heart, it makes it much easier to love others. 
And at the end of life, it won't matter how much money you have or how much success you've achieved or how many things you own or how much recognition you receive. What will matter at the end of your life is that there are people around you that you love and they love you. Do you love God completely? Do you love others completely? Is it the motivation behind all you do? I mean, if you want a great life, a life where you'll succeed in business and family and life and whatever, the motivation that will be needed to live that kind of life to the fullest will be love. Love needs to be the motivator. Is a love for God and a love for others what motivates you or is a love for yourself? Are you in love with you more than anything else? Is that what motivates you? Maybe there's a relationship right now that is so damaged and so broken and you need to sort it out. Jesus loved completely. Love is a choice. It is an action. We need to show it and we need to say it. And some of the greatest regrets in life come at the end when people are distant or disconnect from people they love and they haven't said it enough or they haven't showed it enough. You know, my parents are aging. My dad's 81. My mom's in her late 70s. Sue's mom and dad are kind of in the same age span. And we just kind of made up our mind to spend a little more time with them. And I find we're saying to them and them to us, I love you a whole lot more often. Because I think we all see a window that will close shortly at some point in the next few years. And I don't want to have any regrets that I didn't tell them I love them the most or as much as anybody. I don't want to have regrets that I didn't tell my wife I love her. I don't want to have regrets and say I didn't love my kids. I want to show them and I want to say it. And that's how Jesus would do it. Thirdly, he lived for what really mattered. He lived for what really mattered. This is all about priority. This is about living for the things that really matter and put them on the top of the list. And the things that really don't matter, although we think they do, put them on the bottom of the list. See, I think Jesus knew he had time left and he focused on five things, five things. He focused on glorifying God and all he did. I read this from that moment where he knows his time is up. He, he seems to glorify God in a significant way. He develops his followers so they can continue to have an impact on the rest of the world. He laid the blueprint and the foundation for the new community of faith called the church. He helped as many people embrace the best life possible. That's why he came. And he came to bring salvation or deliverance to those who are far from God. And when you read the second half of the Gospels, when he know he has limited time, he does these things and they are a priority. And he says no to lots of things. And he says yes to lots of things. Only if those yes feed the number one priorities. He had clear priorities. Here's what I know about regret that when you get to the end of your life, regret is there. If you lived for those things that didn't matter at the expense of those things that really did. And sometimes it's hard to get this whole priority thing in order. Don't you find that? I struggle with this all the time. But something that has really helped me when all of the voices in my world are demanding my time and attention, wanting you know to be on the top of the priority list, what I found is if I put make God my first priority the rest of them seem to fall into place. And I was reading the, I read through the book, uh, One Year to Live, or sorry, One Month to Live, and some of you will be doing the study on that. Reason I didn't call this series One Month to Live, if I had a month to live, that would really be radical. A year, I might do things a little differently. But I was reading the book, and he, and he talks about a list that he follows, and, and I do the same thing. And I thought he must have got the list from someone I got the list from. But there are four things for me that are really important. These are just mine. You, you might disagree completely. These are just mine. But for me, I, I have decided that I'm going to spend the first day of every week connecting with people in community of faith here on Sunday at Lakeside. And, if, and so you say, well, you're the pastor. You get paid to. You have to. You're a pastor guy. If I wasn't, if 
I was working somewhere else, I was back in the funeral home, I still make this a priority on my weekend. Number two, I make the first part of every day a priority. I want to get alone with God for a few minutes every day and just kind of let him know that he's in charge and he gets to call the shots and I want to be right with him and let him lead and guide my day. Thirdly, out of my income, I give him the first part. Now, I choose for me. 10%. That's what I choose. In fact, I give more than that now and I'm keeping letting God kind of direct that. But I just say, hey, of my income, I'm going to give back a big portion because he's given it all to me anyway. And then fourthly, I let him have the first part in all of my decisions. I let, you know, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust the Lord with all your heart. Lean not under your own understanding. Acknowledge him in all your ways and he gets to direct your path. That's what I let him do. Those are the four things that I do. Those are my priorities. They're just for me. But when I get those right, it seems to help my other priorities fall into place. And if you had one year to live, are the priorities you're living by now, would they be the same as the priorities if that was a reality? Is there a disconnect or a difference? The last thing Jesus did is he left the legacy. I don't need to touch on this one very much. It's about making a difference in the lives of people you leave behind. And Jesus left this group of followers and he poured his life into them in that last year and a bit. And they, they got it and they poured their lives into others and they got it. And this kind of rippled down through human history. Today, millions and millions of people have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ because he left a legacy. In fact, our worldview in North America is radically still affected by the principles that Jesus laid out in the New Testament. He left a legacy. And I asked myself, if I had a year to live, who in my relational world do I need to pour my life in to? My spouse, my kids, my coworkers, maybe some people I mentor, some people I'm making a difference in their life. I'd want to spend time with them, focusing on them, sharing with them, modeling for them. See, I can leave my spouse and my kids a lot of stuff and money. It's not going to happen, but I could. But what will matter the most is if I leave a piece of myself, the positive piece of myself in their life. And if I had one year to live, I know I would be very intentional about this. And so Jesus pursues his purpose with passion. He loves God and others fully. He lived for what really mattered. He gave little focus to what didn't. And he rippled into the lives of others. And I think he lived life to the full. He made no, no wrong choices. He was Jesus. And uh, he lived life with no regrets. And imagine how your life might be different if you allowed yourself to live with urgency and let these four things sweep over the way you did your life because I think we want to live life to the fullest. I think we all want to make few mistakes. And I think all of us want to get to the end with less regret. So you say, well, how is that possible? Well, I want to get real practical. And I looked on the clock up here. You probably figured up there how much time I've got left. But I've looked on the clock down here. And I've just got a couple of minutes left. But I want to share a prayer with you. All right? I just want to close with a prayer. And it's a prayer for regret-free living. And it goes this way. Lord, help me too. And here's the first one. Lord, help me not to forget the key realities. Got to start off. I got to continue to remind myself and God to remind me of these key realities. And here's what I would do if I were you to help, not to help God, but to work with God on this. I'd get a little three by five card and I'd write on one side of that little card, those three realities. Life is short. It goes by quickly. The end is unpredictable. Life is short, goes by quickly, the end is unpredictable. And I would flip the card over and I would put four words that sort of emphasize how Jesus lived. Purpose, love, priorities, and legacy. And before I 
put my feet on the ground in the morning before every personal interaction I had, every thought I had, every decision or choice or priority I made, if I looked at that little card before I said yes to something or no to something saying, I look at that little card, I think it would make a huge difference. And so I want to start by praying, Gord, uh, Gord, Lord, Lord, help me not to forget the key realities. Number two, help me to invest my time wisely. I want to invest my time in those things that matter, in the grand scheme of things, the things that will have the greatest payoff. And the question I ask myself, if I do an honest assessment of my life and I look at how I'm living my life right now, am I living my life investing in the things that will give me the best payoff at the end of the day, in the grand scheme of things, the things that matter the most? Am I building into my family, my relationship with God, friends, making a difference, serving others? Now, I know we need downtime and I know we need diversion and I know we need recreation and I know we need to waste a little time. I I get that. I do my fair share of it. But I think if I had a year to live, some of those things would change. I think I'd spend less time on social media. I'd spend less time on the computer. I'd spend less time watching TV. I'd spend less time doing a lot of things. And I would start to focus on investing my time in those things that really matter. Second part of the prayer. The third is, this one. It's turning my whens into now. Now you want to get this one. This, this is important. So many people use this phrase today. I hear it all the time. It goes, when such and such happens, then I'll do such and such. When life is the way I want it to be, then I'll fully engage and do what God wants me to do. When I get married, then I'll be happy. Married people say, really? Number three, when I get the things I want, then I'll start work, working less. Where we say things like, when things settle down at work, I'll be more involved in serving or joining a group or caring or mentoring. When my kids are finished sports, then I'll be more committed to gathering on weekends to worship and grow. When I get my career established, I'll spend more time engaging with my family. When my kids are growing, I'll, then I'll reinvest in my marriage When I get out of debt or when I earn more money, then I will be more generous. When then? And some of us need to turn our whens into nows. Do it now. Because if you had one month or one year to live, I guarantee you, you would focus on it now, not then. Too many are waiting for something to happen. Too many are caught up in someday syndrome. I would love to do this or do that, but it's only when this happens. Not until then will I be able to. And the reality is whens seldom turn into nows and someday seldom happens. And before we know it, time has passed and we have regrets and it's too late to turn the whens into now. Fourthly, I need to make my moments matter. God, help me to make my moments matter. Now, this is for type A people just like me. And I know there's a few of you out here. I could look around. I won't look at you because I, I know who you are. Here we go. But you ever notice we're always looking to the next thing? We're always thinking about the next thing, the next event or the next project or the next goal or the next job or the next thing to accomplish. Ever notice that? I, I get caught up in that. I'm looking so forward to the next event that I put energy and, 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 and focus and then with anticipation and excitement, I look forward to the next thing and the next thing happens and I don't enjoy the moment. Why? Because I've already started to focus on the 
next thing. And I miss the moments because I'm focusing on next and I need to turn my next into now. And I need to focus on the moments. A happiness study was done. It said, I I guess you can spend money doing anything. Um, People were inclined to savor the now, were found to be more self-confident, extroverted, gifted, gratified, less hopeless, and less worried. And so often we're focusing on the next and we don't see the now. And it's the now where the most joy and the happiness and the contentment and the fullness of life is. We've got to stop thinking always about the next. And it's not easy. And try to dwell on the moment. One writer said this, Today is the tomorrow you looked forward to yesterday. I'll read that again. Today is the tomorrow you look forward to yesterday. One of my heroes of faith, Jim Elliott, said these words, wherever you are, be all there. One of my other heroes of faith named David wrote this in Psalm 118, 24. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us be glad and rejoice in it. This day. And then the last one is this one. I need to turn my intentions into actions. My intentions into actions. Some of you will come for the whole series and thank you for doing that. And it'll all make sense. You go, I need to consider living life differently. I need to look at these four priorities. I need to keep the urgency before me. I need, oh, I've learned so much. And oh, I, I, yeah, here's what I want to do as a result of what I've heard. But we don't put any plan of action in place. We don't set any sort of action steps in place. We don't look at how we're going to accomplish it. We just have these intentions of what we want to accomplish, but we don't accomplish it because we don't have these action steps. And if you're going to get the most of the series, you've got to take your intentions and attach to them tangible and doable action steps and then share them with somebody who will hold you accountable. Most people know the right thing to do. Fewer people do the right thing that they know to do. And I want us all to consider after every message in this series, I want us to write one action step. I'm going to do this one thing. I'm going to do this one thing different based on what I heard today. And then tell somebody, And take some steps of action. I want to close by sharing the epitaph on a a tombstone. Gravestone. It's the saddest one I ever read. Won't read the person's name. Won't tell you the dates. It just says these words. This is the epitaph. Sleeps but rests not. Loved but was not loved. Tried to please but pleased not. Died as she lived. All alone. What tragic regret that is. And I know all of us want to live life to the fullest, make fewer mistakes, and we want to, when we get to that day, have few or no regrets. It starts by honestly dealing with this question. If we only had one year to live, what things would we do differently? It is about reminding ourselves of the three key realities. Life is short, goes by quick. The end is unpredictable. It's about focusing on four things, and we're going to do that over the next four weeks. Purpose, love, priorities, and legacy. And to make all that work, it might start by praying one simple prayer. It goes like that. Let's stand together. And if you feel ready, if you're not, it's okay. You don't have to pray if you don't want to. I'm okay with that. I'm cool with that. Some of you are not ready. This is all new. Church is brand new to you today. Cool. But if you're ready, join me 
And I'm going to pray it, and I'm going to ask any of you who want to pray it along with me. Here we go. Lord, help me to not forget the key realities, to invest my time wisely, to turn my wins into nows, to make my moments matter, and to turn my intentions into actions. Father God, I just thank you today that you can convict us and, 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 and you can kind of poke around our minds and our hearts. And that's what you've done in my life. The, this message prep this week has just got me thinking and the things I need to do differently. And I pray that you'll give me the steps to do and the courage to do them. I pray for a whole bunch of people here who want to live life to the fullest, who want to ha- make fewer mistakes and who want to have fewer regrets at the end. May we have the courage, Jesus, to look as, at you over the next four weeks as our model as our model. Father God, we thank you for your word. It's filled with wisdom. May we take that wisdom and these realities and choose to live wisely today and throughout this week and throughout this year. Give us that sense of urgency, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. If you want anyone to pray with you, um, there'll be people up here that will pray with you on both sides, trusted people. You can share whatever's on your heart. Maybe something's going on. And uh, I just want to say, have a great week. Choose wisely.